This is the Airplane Geeks podcast. Our aim is to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. This episode, we speak with the president of Pexco Aerospace about their innovative cabin air management technology, how passengers share less air. In the news, an AD for A220 engines, a terrible ground crew accident, the Southwest meltdown, an airport that ran out of jet fuel, and happy news about kittens and puppies. And yes, it's aviation related. Also, our safety card and T-Mobile uncarrier on giveaway winners, and an Australia news desk report. It's all coming up right now. Welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. This is episode 732 of the show where we talk aviation. I'm Max Flight, and with me is Rob Mark, contributing editor to Business and Commercial Aviation, part of the Aviation Week group, and he's publisher at jetwine.com. Good evening from balmy Chicago, where it is, well, it was 51 until the sun went down, and now it's down to 37 again, I think, or something. But hey, that's winter in Chicago. All right. Also with us is David Vanderhoof, our aviation historian from the American Helicopter Museum. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, I have to apologize for all of the technical difficulties I had on the last episode I was on, but I think, Lord willing, in the creek don't rise, we've resolved that issue. When in doubt, turn the computer off and turn the computer back on and get a new browser. So we've done all that and looking forward to um, some fresh air discussions tonight. Okay, very good. And also is, is Max Trescott. He's host of the great Aviation News Talk podcast. He's a national CFI of the year and an expert in uh, learning to fly or purchase a Cirrus aircraft. Hello there, Max, and welcome to everyone who is joining us here today. Great to be with the crew. I just got back from five hours of flying IFR, so happy to be uh, back on the ground. I bet. Oh, boy. All right. Our guest this episode is John Page. He's the president of Pexco Aerospace. That's a company that provides aircraft interior systems, including trim and finish components. Now, Pexco has been developing some very interesting cabin air management technology called AirShield, which augments existing HEPA filter technology, reduces shared air, and it also doubles the rate particles are expelled from the cabin and replaced by purified air. So, John, welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, really glad to be here, uh, be part of the, the discussion tonight. Now, uh, John, prior to uh, joining PEXCO, which I guess was in uh, 2021, you were president at Shield Restraint Systems. Uh, I understand before that uh, you had some positions, some uh, leadership positions at LOF, Inc. Do you call it LOF or LOF? LOF, yeah. Yeah, LOF. Uh, it's, uh, selling uh, automotive aftermarket accessories and hardware. I think, is that a good Correct. way to describe them? Yes, exactly. And uh, prior to that, uh, some other companies, IMMI for uh, child restraints team. And you do have kind of a, a little bit of uh, restraints, you know, uh, restraint systems uh, background in there as well. Maybe sometime uh, uh, later in the show when we get uh, 
past the discussion of air shield, we can talk a little bit about child sure. rest yeah child restraint systems on aircraft. Uh, certainly, um, cabin air quality has been a conversation topic for the last couple of years, and so we're eager to talk about air shield. But before we do that, we've got some aviation news from the past week to talk about. Is everybody ready? Ready from the West. Ready from the first state. Rob is ready if he gets off mute. <laughs> Come on, Rob. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, look, I'm very old. Nope. I'm a little slow. The gears don't turn quite the same pace that they used to. Now, what was your question? Just say, oh, right. I'm, I'm ready. Yes. All right. Here we All go. Right. First item comes from aerotime.aero. FAA addresses dual engine shutdown of A220 P&W engines. Uh, this is about an Air Baltic Airbus A220. It was reported to experience a dual engine shutdown while it was landing at Copenhagen Airport. Uh, this occurred in July 2021. Uh, David, a dual engine shutdown is really what you don't want to ever see, especially if you're an engine guy like me. Or a pilot. Or a pilot. Uh, can we can we just say a dual engine shutdown is bad across the board for multiple reasons? It is. Um, yeah, and it was the, the Pratt & Whitney 1500G power plants, which I, I don't think, and Max, you maybe correct me, don't seem to have a history of having problems. The uh, Of course, the FAA is taking this seriously enough that they put in a, an advisory because these two engines shut down, you know, and it's one thing losing one engine, but two is kind of um, terrifying, actually. It is. Uh, the FAA investigation found that, and I'll, I'll just read from that because I don't think I could put this in my own words, but this is uh, the quote, the sequence of the auto throttle increasing throttle to maintain Mach number immediately followed by pilot commands to decrease throttle to idle caused a transient disagreement between actual and command thrust. And so this difference triggered the thrust control man, uh, malfunction detection logic, the TCM logic, and that shut down both engines as soon as the wheel sensors detected that the aircraft was on the ground. Um, so I think we weren't flying with no engines, but we were on the ground landing with no engines, I guess. This made, uh, it was kind of confusing to me because I was trying to imagine why, if you're in the landing configuration, why it would be trying to increase, maybe it was the way they worded it, but why would you be trying to increase, if I'm the auto throttle, uh, increase the uh, power to maintain Mach number? We're not on Mach number down low anyway. We're on indicated airspeed, or uh, uh, which is in knots. And then pulling the power, it just didn't make sense. Uh, you know, it sounded like somebody jammed the throttles forward and then pulled them back to idle. Uh, that That's the equivalent of that. It it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. The To me, it sounds like a conflict between what the auto throttle was trying to command and what the pilot was trying to do to perhaps override the throttle. And the amazing thing to me is, why in that situation would you design a system to essentially cut the engines out? You know, why not pick one or the other? Why just go, hey, I don't know which one to do. Let's turn the engines off. Well, the solution to this, apparently, uh, under the AD, the Airworthiness Directive, it's a software update. 
So uh, operators have to update the, the FADEX software, the full authority digital engine control software. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting uh, when you look at, uh, so what does that require? What are the resources? What's the hit that uh, the operators take? Well, it, I guess the FAA estimated that this software update would take uh, two hours at a cost of $170 per aircraft, which, boy, that sounds pretty minor. I was going to say, that's what, half a line of code? <laughs> I know, practically. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just seems like our fates are increasingly determined by software these days every time you turn around. Uh, but that's the story here. Another engine-related story, and while the first one could have been, of course, disastrous, this one was uh, was worse than that. Max T, you've got a, a, an article from our our favorite paddleyourowncanoe.com. Yeah, this is a real tragedy. Uh, folks may have heard about this already. There wasn't a lot of information when it first came out, but on New Year's Eve day, uh, the 31st of December in Montgomery, Alabama, an American Airlines employee got sucked into a jet engine of an Embraer E-175, a regional jet that was uh, on the ground at Montgomery. Apparently, it was it, it braked, you know, in, in the blocks. For some reason, the engine was running. Uh, I've just found a more recent article that says that the the person who um, unfortunately died in the engine uh, was a 34-year-old uh, woman. They say ground handling agent. Uh, so not clear whether she was baggage worker or something else. Uh, but she was a, a mother of three uh, and unfortunately walked toward the uh, the aircraft and was uh, sucked into the engine. I hadn't heard of this happening in the civilian world before. I, I know certainly there have been cases of this in the military world. I did a little bit of searching on, uh, found a website called atlantablackstar.com. And it said that Boeing did a study over a span of 40 years in which they said there were uh, this was for the Boeing 737 models. They said uh, 33 ingestions, though they don't explain whether that's, you know, uh, baggage containers, which I have seen ingested before, mm, yeah. or, or people. But what they did say was that there were four deaths by ingestion over a 40-year period with uh, 737s uh, around the world. So this is not totally unprecedented, but certainly extremely rare and tragic. And I think it, it speaks to probably either a, a breakdown in safety protocol i'm guessing that the training was correct but you know somebody didn't didn't follow the training correctly it's hard to imagine uh, that the airlines wouldn't have trained their uh, you know their employees about this it does make you wonder also if perhaps the uh, the aircraft should have been uh, shut down at that point i don't know why the engine was running they might have had a legitimate reason for it but it just does highlight the uh, you know the safety issues around engines of all types did this happen at night? No, it happened at 3 p.m. Yeah, that, that's a toughie. I mean, I, because again, I mean, the engines are running as they, as they pull into the gate. And once the airplane's chocked, they've got to switch the power. Uh, if the airplane's on the APU, it's not a big deal. They can haul back and shut the engines down. But if the APU wasn't running, then they've got to leave one of them running until they get ground power connected. Um, but again, that's supposed to be ground handling 101 is that you don't, I know somebody has to give an all clear signal or something to the ground crew um, to, to approach because uh, they must have been on the, on the right engine because that's where all the baggage door hatches are. 
So somebody just jumped the gun, it sounds like, and was so eager to get the job done, they uh, they didn't notice the engine was still running. I mean, that it's just, it's an awful thing. I think it's really easy for people who are around airplanes all the time to get complacent about engine safety, propeller safety. It's one of the concerns I have since I'm at the airport five, six days a week. I remember a couple of years ago at one point walking down a line of airplanes and thinking, gosh, why am I, you know, walking right in front of this propeller? So I, even though there was nobody in the airplane, it was still something that crossed my mind. So now I tend to either walk behind the airplanes or walk well in front of them. I just don't want to get complacent. And I think any of us who hang around with airplanes all the time, boy, it's easy to forget that you know, these engines and propellers can kill you. I think the problem is it's one of these low probability, high consequent kinds of events. And I think that people, you know, it's easy to dismiss something that's low probability. Oh, that'll never happen. I'll never get hit by the propeller. And yet the consequences are so high that you just need to be vigilant and, you know, constantly remind yourself, hey, this is a, a deadly, dangerous object. Yeah. It, this does seem like something that's got a lot of uh, procedure around it. Um, a lot of requirements for what you do, what you don't do, you know, how the whole process works. And so, yeah, it does kind of seem like that should be really well established by now. So um, it'll be uh, instructive to find out eventually where the breakdown occurred and uh, and, and how this uh, came to be. But it, it's just terrible. Yeah. I, I, I just, I you know, I, I just get the willies, you know, thinking about this. I it's i just don't like it i have to agree with Bax, um especially like when we're 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 doing helicopter rides and we've got two active helicopters out on a flight line with um people who are not familiar with aircraft you know you, you know it just i my head suddenly gets on a swivel and i start looking around you know just because right and people are like well why are you keeping low out by the helicopters i said because i'm six four and no matter what i need to keep low even though the blades are way above my head i don't need to work you know if we've got people flying in and i don't and and i'm not um dealing with civilians or something sometimes you get complacent you don't think about you know, it's like, oh, it's just a Chinook. Oh, it's out on the run. It's like, yeah, no, you need to think, keep conscious of it. For sure. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> Southwest Airlines meltdown. John, have you? Uh, were you able to avoid the uh, holiday travel, or did you get caught up in any of that? You know, we live out here on uh, in Washington, so a lot of times you take Alaska, okay, which it's a pretty good airline. Uh, we've had a really good experience or a really good success. So I was in Mexico flying back to Seattle two days after Seattle had an ice storm. So uh, much like Southwest, Alaska had all of their pilots that need to be repositioned hmm. all over the country because they were shut down from 5 a.m. to noon, I believe on the 23rd or 24th. I can't remember which day. But uh, I was able to make it back to Seattle. Uh, my kids were able to make it back to Chicago. However, I had a youngster, my youngest who lives in New York flying to Seattle was on a plane in first class and they came in and removed the entire first class, denied them boarding and repositioned and sent 15 pilots from 
uh, JFK back to Seattle. Wow. Uh, because of the pilot union rules and they have to fly first class. So they took uh, high revenue passengers. I mean, people that spend 50, 60, $70,000 a year with Alaska, a uh, million milers and others off the plane and uh, had to fend for themselves on Christmas Eve in New York City. Uh, not a bad place to be, I guess, but uh, yeah, uh, it worked out. They uh, made it right, so to speak, for us. But uh, I understand there were some pretty disgruntled first-class million-miler 100K uh, flyers that got bumped for uh, aircraft personnel to fly back from JFK to uh, Seattle. But uh, fortunately, we were able to recover on Christmas Day. But uh, there was a lot of baggage down in baggage claim at SeaTac on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day that looked like it was unclaimed. Yeah, quite a mess. Max, this, these things are, uh, it can be extremely expensive for the airlines. Oh, yeah, it had to be. <laughs> So Southwest, I think, initially kind of went along with the line of, oh, it's the weather causing us to have cancellations. And there were other airlines having some cancellations at that point in time. But then it became clear within probably one or two days that 90% of the cancellations that were going on were Southwest, and it was no longer a weather problem. I think what I've read is that it was triggered by uh, a shortage of personnel in uh, Denver. And then the, somehow that just kind of rippled around the country. But what really came out of all this was that apparently the uh, IT systems that they have at Southwest they have underinvested them uh, over the years, which is kind of interesting because we were just talking about software a couple of moments ago. <laughs> and once again, I, I wouldn't trivialize this by saying it was a software problem. I would say that it was probably a, a underinvestment in IT systems, which includes software, hardware. And the real challenge is that when you have systems that have been added to help a company run over a period of 50 years, some of the ones that are running maybe you know, 30 years old in terms of some of the code that's running. And it's just unbelievably difficult to take a company that has probably, you know, dozens of different uh, systems running on, you know, dozens of, well, not dozens, but hundreds of different computers, and then transition to something new. It's like, well, how do you keep the old stuff up and running as you cut over to the, to the new stuff? So it's an incredibly complex problem. And Southwest, to their credit, has stepped up and said that they're going to basically try to make people whole and that they will pay reasonable um, you know, expenses for people that had to be stuck in hotels and things like that. Uh, estimates I've seen are that it's going to cost them somewhere in the neighborhood of $800 million. <laughs> You'd have to think, how many new IT systems could they have bought for $800 million? Yeah, and that amount is right. I think that's just for uh, compensation for the disruptions and not to... Uh, uh, implement a new crew scheduling system. Um, but you're right, those things are in incredibly complex. I know because I've done that before. And uh, when you take uh, sometimes, well, easily hundreds, but oftentimes thousands of legacy systems and then uh, update that to uh, to a modern system, I mean, it takes years and years and millions of dollars. But I hope they're going to fix it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another aspect, right? They can't fix it immediately if 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 it's this uh, scheduling system that's it's the problem. But uh, the magnitude is just amazing. You know, sixteen over sixteen thousand flights canceled, luggage piling up, thousands of people uh, stranded. SWAPA, the Southwest Airlines Pilots Association, published a letter. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. 
And it places the blame for all this squarely on the airline's lack of leadership. Um, In in fact, in this letter, there's uh, a statement that uh, they call it a genuine cancer within our company. This is from SWAPA that has been an ever-growing existential threat that must be excised before it becomes terminal. That's pretty strong uh, language from the from the union. Well, you know why that that happens. If pilots have an hour or two once they're in the air, uh, and they they figure out all this cool language that they're going to use to describe varying situations, because all the pilots we all know how to run everything. Of course. Uh, no, not that this was. I mean, my daughter got caught in this too, and uh, it, uh, it it was crazy because nobody could figure out what was going to happen. Uh, I've got a friend that's a flight attendant and. I called her and I said, "So where are you?" She said, "I don't even know where I am." Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, she was being funny, but she said, "Half of my friends don't know where they are. the The company doesn't know where I am. They don't know where the airplanes are. Um, they had to spend uh, they had to spend the uh, the night in Philly. Sleep. The whole crew slept in the airplane because there were no hotel rooms available anywhere, and." Uh, uh, it was just it was it was chaotic, and uh, I I hope they never experience that again. But or, or seriously, people have short memories. You know, if if Southwest fixes this uh, the way they should, uh, six months from now, people will be talking. Yeah, that happened, but uh, it's okay now. Yeah. I did just for the heck of it, look and see what would it cost to book a Southwest ticket to Hawaii? And it was 99 bucks each way. And I thought, okay, they're, uh, they're putting the low fares out there trying to get people to forgive them. Yeah. Is that right now? Well, uh, from, from San Francisco. Yes. <clears throat> you know, one thing we talk you, about, you know what else? One, one thing we talk go about, ahead, go ahead, John. Yeah. One of the things we talk about is, you know, why do pick, people pick what airline they pick, you know, and, and when it, really boils down to is some algorithm of schedule and price. Uh, nobody says, I'm going to pick Southwest over Delta because one's safer than the other. So we're fortunate from that regard. You know, we look at it uh, from an inconvenience standpoint. And uh, I've learned over the years that uh, people may be bruised by this issue with uh, Southwest, but they'll have a short memory when it's $99 to get to Hilo Airport. Uh, and they can be in the sun and check three bags for free. So I think you're right. I think people have a, uh, Southwest has quite the following. Um, I used to travel in, in Texas a lot and it was a little bit like taking the bus down there because you could go from one city to the other for $49 a piece. Hmm. So, uh, I think you're right. I think they'll come out of that. Okay. David, you were going to say something. What, uh, you know, I think it's one of those th- events that makes the general public realize the interconnectedness of all of this, you know, that it's one of the, it was one of those amazing cascade failures that, you know, a couple of things went wrong and then it just got getting worse and worse and worse and worse, you know, and I don't think people realize that their flight in Philadelphia going to, going to say Orlando is directly affected by the flight coming from Seattle earlier in the day. You know, they people expect, okay, I'm going to go to the airport. There's going to be an airplane there. I'm going to leave, you know, and I'm going to, right. They don't realize that there, 
the complexity of our aviation system anymore. It's just one of those things. It's like, and then they're shocked when something goes wrong. And in this case, it went really wrong, but it's kind of an eye-opening to everybody that, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes besides just you going, having to go through customs or, or, or TSA and getting on the airplane and going to your destination. You know, it's weather, it's, personnel you know and all of those it's amazing how well it does work on a yearly basis or a daily basis compared to when we've had failures like this yeah well when we were headed from seattle down to um mexico the uh they had a medical on the flight uh inbound flight from san diego and so we were delayed maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and um, there was somebody on the plane very upset about that half an hour delay. How could how could Alaska uh, ruin their vacation with a half an hour delay? Forget about the poor lady in the gurney in the in the lobby there or in the, uh, you know, who's being administered oxygen and uh, all that. But, you know, they used up the oxygen uh, canister hmm. on the flight in from – so they had to replace it. Obviously, they can't fly without one. And it's not like the airlines are in the business of throwing an extra 40 pounds on there if they don't need it. So it was very interesting uh, to see the attitude of people being that so horrifyingly displaced by being a half an hour late. Uh, we made it up in the air, though. But uh, it was just kind of interesting that uh, not only are we interdependent on those things, but sometimes I think... Uh, the, the public not only takes it for granted, but is so used to being catered to that uh, they forget that, you know, there's rules for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully I, I was God willing, they don't uh, need that air can, can, uh, oxygen tank on the flight down, but she would have been very glad that it was there if, if uh, she would have needed it. So um, I agree with you hundred percent. It's amazing how well it works. Yes. All right. Well, it does. The things don't always work though. Um, Max, what's happening at the San Diego airport? Something's not working there. Yeah, this this is really quite surprising. Uh, The title says, San Diego airport has run dry of jet fuel, resulting in lengthy diversions for some United and British airway flights. This is really, really, really unusual. Uh, But in this particular case, uh, apparently they had a a major fuel pipe that was leaking, and it took longer to fix it than they anticipated. And so the result was that uh, airliners here in the U.S. were basically tankering fuel in so they they would bring in enough fuel so that they didn't need fuel in San Diego. They could then fly on to their uh, next destination. Uh, there were some diversions. Uh, so, for example, British Airways had a flight are, from— Are you implying this is a tanker story? <laughs> I, I resent that remark. No, no. This, this is tankering the verb. This is not tanker the noun. <laughs> Yeah. So, for example, the British Airways had to, uh, from their San Diego to London uh, flight, they had to stop off on the way at uh, Los Angeles uh, for that flight, which reminds me of the uh, direct flight that we used to have from San Jose to uh, Japan. And the first stop on that uh, that, uh, direct flight was Oakland so that they could top off the tanks (laughs) because the runways are too short at at, uh, San Jose for them to go out with uh, full tanks. So I don't know if uh, this problem has been resolved, but... you know, it is kind of interesting how, you know, we, we, David was talking about how tightly coupled systems tend to break down. You know, we're just used to all of this stuff working. And yet, man, it's it doesn't take much to uh, to have 
systems break down. And it did get fixed, by the way. I, Is it fixed? I checked in. Yeah. Leaking fuel pipe, right? That was... I, we, you know, think about the... I, I wonder how much it was leaking. Uh, I, I hope, because I didn't hear anything about them having to do a, a major cleanup or anything like that. Because I mean, at an airport, if you even look like you spilled fuel on the ramp, they, they've got people out in hazmat suits and they're throwing junk on the ground and uh, it's it's crazy so rob you mean that you weren't taught to when you sample the fuel just throw it in the air yeah i was taught just to make sure you knew which way the wind was coming from <laughs> and then throw it in the air uh no but we we, we don't do that anymore i in fact I, I think i cut david off you you were going to say david i bet that we don't know that the leak was at the airport it might have been somewhere else along the way what I was going to say is, you know, coming from the civil engineering childhood I had, they might have caught the link early, but they probably had to shut down the pipelines to fix the leak. Sure. So that would their side. If British Airways and United are on the same side of the airport, they might not be able to get fuel over to that side of the airport because the fuel lines are down. You know. All right. Well, we've got a couple of uh, puppies and kittens stories who doesn't like a good puppy or kitten story i know they're so cute so san francisco chronicle uh, puppy abandoned at sfo adopted by airline captain and family so uh, i guess this <laughs> this dog was abandoned um at the airport who the hell abandons a dog at the airport that's just awful i i know i know so a united airlines captain uh william dale and uh, and his family, they adopted this dog, Polaris, and they had an adoption party, I guess, at the at the airport, uh, sort of a big celebration. And um, you know, the story ends well. I mean, the, the dog was apparently abandoned um, in September, but due to lack of proper paperwork uh, to remain in the United States. So uh, I guess you know, the owner just said, "Well, you know, dog's on its own." Wait, wait a minute. The, the dog was an illegal immigrant? Yes. That's what it sounds <laughs> I, like. I, boy. Okay. I, I won't go there because I know I'll get myself in trouble. Yes, please don't. So United and the uh, San Francisco SP, uh, SPCA uh, kind of worked together to find uh, find a home. And so it's now, the dog is now with this United Airlines captain and, and his family. So... All ended well. And then uh, the other story, this came from Simpla Flying. Frontier Airlines will give you free flights for adopting these cats. This is kind of a fun story. There's uh, the Animal Foundation who, you know, receives and places kittens and, you know, things all the time. So I don't know what the reason was, but they named these kittens Frontier, Delta, and Spirit. <laughs> I guess they, you know, maybe they ran out of other uh, ideas for naming these, you know, these stray kittens. So it sounds like Frontier heard about this, and so they offered up to four flight vouchers to anyone who adopted Frontier. Um, but they decided that, well, what about Delta and and Spirit? Can't leave them out. So Frontier said, well, they'd give you two vouchers each for the other uh, other two kittens. But uh, it, uh, you know, it's, it's fun when 
airlines do good things. It's interesting when they do good things that they know are going to get them a lot of publicity and uh, goodwill from from the public. And I think uh, that's kind of what we saw in these stories. Uh, but the other interesting part was originally Delta, the the cat, the kitten named Delta, was originally named Southwest, but due to the recent events, they decided it was they it, the the kitten needed a better chance, and then they renamed it Delta. An interesting publicity. Yeah, yeah, I could just imagine somebody picking up a kitten, throwing it up into the air. <laughs> and then watching it get back down on the ground and says, yeah, this one doesn't take off either. Oh, jeez. Oh. oh, God. Okay. Uh, you know, see, if if you keep talking like this, Max, John's never going to come back. <laughs> He'll be, we'll be lucky if he makes it through his own piece. He'll never come back. Well, we can't have that. In fact, we should talk about Air Shield. I don't know what happened to Max Truscott. He oh, dropped off. he he dropped me a, a text. He said his internet's down. Oh, okay. So I, I don't know that we'll get him back tonight. Oh, that's a shame. John, again, welcome to the podcast. We're uh, thank you very much. Looking forward to to having a good conversation. Uh, let's uh, sort of baseline this. We talk about cabin air management. You know, what are we talking about? Maybe you can describe for us uh, how the cabin air is managed. Where does it come from? How was it processed? You know, what's sort of the, uh, uh, the the current state of cabin air? So when we talk about cabin air, we talk about it kind of from an environmental perspective. The entire tube, the entire plane. Okay, so. Uh, what happens, the way the uh, the cabin air rotates is it comes out of the gaspers, which we talked about, the little, as, as my wife calls them, the little things that you turn on and off. Uh, and then it's gathered down by the feet uh, in uh, with, with some areas down there that take it in, it's sucked into the HEPA air filter, and then it's recirculated through the HEPA air filter down through the gasper and through some air uh, vents or air channels that go down the center of, on a, on a you know, on a 737 or A320, you know, a single aisle aircraft, okay? So what happens is you look at the entire air and the air is refreshed depending on uh, which airplane uh, at, at a certain rate, okay? And the HEPA air filters clean that air. So it's a it's a very safe environment uh, from a public transportation or a pl- public environment. It's probably the safest that we know of out there because they're cleaning uh, with the HEPA air filters. The challenge, though, is on a micro environment, not a macro, a micro environment. Um, when you're flying in economy, let's say, and uh, you, you are on a center seat and you're in row 15, you probably don't care much about what's going on in row 27. You care about the guy that's on the window or the person that's on the aisle. That, that little micro environment is what you're most concerned about. So that person who um, decided to work out before he or she got on the plane or that person who may be sneezing and coughing, um, when we look at airlines and airplanes, we look at it from a macro standpoint. That's how all the uh, studies are done. 
So when you hear Airbus or uh, Boeing talk about how we recycle the air so many times a minute, it's talking about the whole cubic foot of the passenger cabin, okay? Um, what our issue is, or what we decided to do, we started at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we make some of the air handling equipment. Uh, our company makes some of the, the um, HVAC tubes, for, for lack of a better word, that goes behind the walls to drive that air up to the gaspers and then back down to the HEPA air filters. So it's kind of some of the things that we do as a company. You know, we make HVAC tubes that are very, um, very lightweight, very durable, uh, flame resistant, all the things that it needs to be on an airplane. So it was kind of a bit of an expertise for us. So we were looking at how do we deal with the air coming out to increase that rate of return to the HEPA air filter. The idea that if we can churn the air and, and run it through the filter more often, we make it a quote unquote better place to be or a safer place, right? So we started researching this and we had patented some things on the sidewalls of the airline, of uh, the airplanes, you know. So we had looked at some of the technology, but it was not um, exactly dealing with right around the headspace of the passenger. That's, that's what we became more concerned about. And we found a uh, technology in AirShield that was developed by a uh, design house up in Seattle called Teague. And they came up with this concept of air shield. And, and basically what it is, if you can imagine, this thing looks like a, um, it's about 18 inches long. It's about four inches wide and it mounts up over the gaspers, those areas where you turn the air. And it it uh, adheres to that whole area there just below kind of the uh, the stowage bins. And what it does is it, instead of directing that air, kind of broadcasting out like a, uh, a shotgun, it creates these, these what we call air curtains between on the outside of the aisle, on the inside of the aisle, on the outside of the window, and on the inside of the window. So you get these air compartments for each person sitting in economy class. So instead of trying to do it from the wall, they developed a technology that could focus the air coming out of the gaspers to create air curtains straight out of the ceiling so that if someone were to sneeze or somebody were to cough, it would drive that shared air particle down to the gasper so the gasper could clean it quicker and return the air back up to the to the gaspers there. So their design uh, was a great concept, but we took it from concept down to uh, testing and implementation, and we are we're days from uh, uh, FAA certification on this right now. So that's kind of how this thing started. And the economics behind it was, if you remember, three years ago we started hearing about COVID, beginning of January of 2020. I think the first case was somewhere near Seattle in the U.S. Um, I happen to be coming back from Shanghai through Seattle had a little bit of a cold, so I might be patient zero in the U.S., I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, I came back uh, about this time in January of 2020 from China. But uh, if you remember in about March of 2020, April of 2020, is when it got serious and they stopped selling the center seats. Mm, yes. Um, and, I, and I will tell you, the airlines get very concerned when they can't sell the center seats. 
Um, so all of a sudden it becomes an economic thing too. And so we believe if we had this uh, solution three years ago, uh, it would be on every airplane flying in, in the U.S. today. However, now we have the opposite issue. We have uh, the airplanes are all full and they're worried about weight because of, uh, of uh, uh, fuel costs. So these each air shield adds about just under about uh, 14 ounces. So you're talking about adding about 60 pounds to the aircraft. So it's, it's a tougher sell today than it was when they could not sell the center seats. So uh, for us, we think it works great. It doubles that airflow down to the, uh, to the uh, HEPA air filters. But more importantly, it deals with a lot of problems that you have when you have three seats side by side. You know, it deals with the smells. It deals with all the different things. Uh, and if you've flown recently, um, there's no shame with passengers who are flying these days. Yeah. Um, is there any um, perceived uh, difference from the no, standpoint it's, of it's the No, it's actually benign. And that's some of the challenges that we've run into is, you know, most people who fly understand they're in a situation where they have very little control. They get on, they shut the passenger door, and they hope to arrive safely and on time. And usually we do, right? But there's this concept of control where they feel like it's, I call it placebo control, where they can turn these gaspers on and off and they feel like they can cool themselves or shut them off because it's too cold. The reality is the HVA system on a single aisle aircraft is designed for the gaspers to be 100% open all the time. Mm. And it's controlled by the flight crew. That's who controls how hot or how cool it is. And you might see like if it's uh, the middle of the summer down in Texas, they'll say, please keep your window shades closed and all of your air vents open because they're trying to deal with the external effects of the heat. If the, the reason it gets hot or cold uh, is because people shut those gaspers or open those gaspers. And uh, we like to say, do you know how you can tell if HVAC is working? Hmm. It's you don't notice it. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So if it's too hot, it's because it's not working correctly. And if it's too cold, it's because it's not working correctly. Um, there are people that are always hot and there are people that are always cold. So it doesn't matter for some people, but they usually deal with that. Uh, my wife is one who's always cold. So she always brings a jacket with her on a plane. You know, yeah. uh, I tend to be a little bit more warm blooded. So I ditch the jacket as soon as I get on the plane. But the reality of it is for the HVAC to work most effectively, the gaspers have to be hundred percent on. And there's that mindset that they have control. So what we do is with the air shield, we, we set the gaspers fully on and we set them at a certain angle. And, you know, you don't have the adjustability with the aftermarket version of the air shield. Uh, the one that could be, uh, that, that is certified, that will be certified next week. And then that can be put on airplanes today. You don't have that control, but when you fly a wide body internationally, you don't have any gasper control either, you know, and that's, it's overcoming that mindset uh, because the benefits with it being on a single aisle far outweigh any of the challenges of that placebo control that you have. How difficult is it to install one of these over a set of gaspers? 
Okay, so on a 737, it's probably a minute each, uh, each one. So it's it's probably a hour and 20 minute install on a typical 737. Uh, it's about twice that on an uh, Airbus, just because of the configuration, the way we have to do it. Uh, it installs over uh, the ga- it over over the gaspers, kind of in between. And there's uh, there's ways that that was really the the challenge with the FAA was they called it the 14 year old punk challenge. How are we going to keep a 14 year old from ripping this thing down? <laughs> so uh, that's that's kind of what we had to deal with. Uh, that was the unofficial uh, title when we were doing the testing. So it's a it's a really pretty simple install. It can usually be done on an overnight. Uh, and that was part of the design challenge that I was talking about, going from concept through implementation. Um, the easiest part was designing the air knife, the air curtain technology. The hardest part was getting it to stay on the airplane uh, and to conform through the FAA certification process because they get worried about things like, are people going to bump their heads on it? I know David says 6'4", I'm 6'3", my son's 6'9". Uh, and you worry about those things, right? You know, uh, the other thing is, can you still see all the placards? You know, the, you know, no smoking signs and seatbelt signs and all that. Those were all things that we had to go through. So, you know, I got to tell you, the FAA, um, I had a perception before we started trying to go through this process of getting this certified. Um, and I will tell you, if something is flying today, it has been tested, if it's on an airplane, it has been tested um, to the degree that would drive you crazy as a business owner. So I will tell you, uh, I have a new respect for the FAA now uh, and what they go through to make sure that uh, they deal with all the issues and try to find anything that could go wrong with uh, putting something on an airplane. Hmm. Now, I'll just mention real quick that we'll have uh, some photographs or some images, some graphics of uh, of this in the show notes, so that uh, those of you listening can, you know, refer to that to kind of understand what this what this looks like. And John, am I correct? Is is this a passive device? It's not a an yeah. Active. There's nothing mechanical. In yeah, it. it's it doesn't have to be. Basically, what it does is it takes all the air that's coming out uh, from the gaspers and it pools it and then forces it down. Uh, through these three different uh, uh, air curtains that they have, three to four, depending on the the application. And what it does is it gives you, it just drives, it's a, it's a benign kind of a feel, and it directs the air. Instead of swirling around the passenger's head, it directs it down to the HEPA air filters so that they can be used more effectively. Um, I wouldn't say it's safer. What I would say is it, it helps the HEPA air filters make the entire environment work more effectively. And really the thing that drives it is that people leave those gaspers wide open. That's what's driving it. Um, Because, you know, if you get on any airplane and we've done some empirical testing, about 30% of the gaspers are closed at any time. And so that means you're working with 70% to cool or heat the aircraft. And that changes the dynamic of airflow on an airplane, you know, it uh, inside the passenger cabin. And so it's a, we think it's a, it's an outstanding solution to this problem. Uh, but, you know, the future is probably more an integrated version of this to replace the, uh, the uh, whole PSU up there, which, yeah. you know, 
I think it's called the passenger service unit. I know everybody likes acronyms. Um, Especially in this industry. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So that's that's what we are. Uh, our, our second version is patented as well that has uh, that. And that takes weight out of the actual aircraft and it's lighter. Uh, it's a little bit less expensive for the airline or for the uh, um, airframers. And it has a dampening type device so that it gives people that perception of control. Hmm. It's not as effective, though, because when you give people control and they shut it off, it's less effective. Are you removing the original Gaspers? No, no, no. It's just it's, going over them. It's over. And it, it's basically an aftermarket add-on piece that goes over um, the Gaspers. It can be removed as quickly as you are, you put it on. It takes special tools to put it on. Um, and it's tamper-proof and all the things that we need. But more importantly is if someone were leasing an aircraft, that's a big concern with the airlines if they're leasing an aircraft, part of the lease is they have to return it back to its original configuration. So it's an elegant solution to a difficult problem. And like I, I talk with our team, there's definitely a need and we have to create the demand. And that's really, you know, what we're doing. Because if you think about it, um, one of the greatest improvements, uh, I guess it's questionable to some, but, you know, you have Wi-Fi. Uh, in the passenger cabin. That's probably the most, uh, the biggest improvement in passenger travel. You have the ability to look at movies or whatever you need to do from that regard. But nothing's really changed uh, the economy class. In first class, you have lie flat, you have other opportunities, those types of things. But in economy, you've gotten, you know, extended economy. But when you're stuck in the back, and someone next to you hasn't showered, you're dealing with it for the duration of the flight. Yeah. And this would help eliminate some of those odors because they fly just uh, around the airplane just like um, COVID does or just like a sneeze or any of those types of things. They're all air particles and they are all in droplets and they all transport the same way. So this helps reduce all that and make it a better environment to travel. How do you approach, John, the airlines? Do you do it through your existing relationships uh, or, or with the airframers? Um, you know, or, or do you have to uh, go in through a different, uh, a different part of the corporation to get? So it's tough, okay, because um, the people that are in the cabin world who are worrying about customer experience, uh, they have a lot of say with these airlines um, and what drives that, okay? And so for us, we, we've been trying to find champions at different airlines who want to believe in this concept, okay? So the most interest we've had are with people that are uh, airlines that, you know, have a, a, a smaller fleet that are competing against a larger airline, and this would give them the advantage. Um, I, I often say when I'm flying, you have that time when you get on the plane before you take off, whatever it is, 10 minutes, 15 minutes where you are a captive uh, audience, where they could market to you with good information. Um, the challenge with COVID is that everywhere else you go, I'm surprised as we're sitting here, people aren't wearing masks, even though we're at home alone in our own studios. Um, as I drive through Seattle, I always find it interesting to see people driving alone in their car with their mask on. I, I just find it interesting to me. But Everything's changed. Uh, 
you know, there's, there's extra precautions everywhere. If you go to a bank, there, there are partitions, except for when it comes to travel. We're pre-COVID when you get on a plane. There's no visual cue to anybody that this plane has changed. I mean, they talk about in their data on their website how they have enhanced cleaning. But the reality is everybody's looking for something to say, what did we learn in the last three years? And this is an opportunity to do that. And so the people we're working with are in incorporating QR codes on the back of these air shields so they can educate the passengers to let them know what this is and why the airline has put these on. So there's a real opportunity there because if you see these on an airplane, you're going to go, what are these? And it's going to make you reach your phone up and look at it and say, let me find out about this air shield. What's this all about? And so there's real opportunities for airlines to differentiate themselves and put something on that, uh, you know, gives the uh, public the the understanding that there is something being done. And we have learned some things from this pandemic. And here's an opportunity to enhance your experience, especially in the economy class. And when you're sitting in the seat and you look up and, and see this, um, it just looks like, you know, another piece of plastic, another piece of right. what's what's overhead. And you see the Air Shield logo. I mean, the name is brilliant because it has a real positive connotation. You know, you might say, what the, what the heck is this thing? But it's called Air Shield, you know. That sounds like something good. So, Well, it is. And it's the thing about it is there's more benefits than just, like I said, we talked about. But the, the reality of it is, I, 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 like I said, there's no shame on airplanes any longer. Um, I was on a flight recently where someone had their shoes off and they were clipping their nails. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I go... Does anyone have shame? Please. Uh, I remember when you had to wear a suit to yes. fly. Oh, yeah. You got dressed up to go to the airport. Yeah, you got dressed up. It was a, it was a special thing. And now, you know, uh, carry-on is our trash bags. And, you know, it's it's tough now. But uh, I know. I, I look like a homeless person when I get on an airplane. So, yeah, I got the <laughs> plastic bags and the, you know. Absolutely. You know, and then and, and people go and get their food. And I don't know about you, but I don't always want to look at someone's food that's been sitting in their backpack for two hours when they pull it out in the middle of the flight. And this helps reduce all that stuff and, and give you that virtual space that you need. On the converse, I see a lot of people today that come in with sunglasses on, headphones, and a hoodie and try to make it as obvious that they don't want to engage anyone next to them as possible. <laughs> so there's a, a really interesting it's it's interesting to see the microcosm of America flying across the skies today, too. This seems like this uh, this technology is pretty specific to this application. Uh, are you staying in this, you know, in this yeah, realm? You know, we've looked at other things like, you know, uh, there's not as much of an interest in this on the uh, private aviation uh, because, you know, there's there's other controls there. You know, if you're flying a private jet, usually it's probably some sort of a fractional arrangement and you get to decide who, how many people you need or how big of a deal it is. Um, we've looked at, um, you know, uh, trains, we've looked at buses, things like that. The problem is there's such varying manufacturers and places you'd have to fit up. Whereas when you're dealing with a 737 max, they're all about the same. I wouldn't say any plane's the same because there, there's a lot of variance inside the plane, especially on the interiors. But when you're talking about a, a 737 Max or you're talking about a 900 or an 800, they're about the same. 
across the board to each other. So you can build the tooling to build the product so that you can get that uh, similar part across all of them. Uh, when you get into something else, it's difficult uh, because you're talking about a custom scenario. And, and, you know, the tools for these types of things are very expensive and the hundreds of thousands of dollars to build these, you know. So it's, uh, it's an expensive R&D process without having something consistent like an a Airbus or a, a 737 to look at. And you're uh, hoping for certification within a week? We have one last test that was uh, reviewed today. It was a flammability test on one part of our the foam that goes around it to seal it. It was a flammability test that had to be witnessed by the FAA. So that was done, I believe, today. So we have all the uh, – when, when you go through an STC certification, which I can't remember what STC stands for, but it's basically uh, – um, it's a special type certificate, I think, is what it is. And it gives you the ability to fly domestically. And I, I also will recognize it usually. Uh, the FAA is the toughest uh, worldwide to do. So when you go through that, you, in essence, enter into a contract with the FAA that if we um, do this certain sub set of tests, in our case, it was about 15 tests that we had to do from, uh, you know, durability tests to fit up tests to flammability to durability to uh, removal to, you know, uh, smoke evacuation. We had to put these on on a, a A320 and fill it up with smoke to make sure there was no smoke evacuation issues or anything. Once you agree to this set of tests and, they, and they're all witnessed properly and documented properly, you submit for your STC certification. And it's a contract that if you do all those things and you do them, according to the way that you've agreed to do them with the FAA, they will grant you STC certification. So for us, once you submit that final test, it's a fait accompli because you've already been through, you know, uh, the challenges. Getting the the uh, contract with the FAA is the hardest part, agreeing to how you're going to test this stuff. So it's a grueling process and it's a very thorough process. Uh, and most of the airlines, when we started talking to them about this three years ago, said, come find me when you're certified hmm. because they knew better than we did. Uh, and uh, so we've learned a lot. It's a fascinating process. And uh, uh, we would do it a lot differently if we did it in the, uh, in the future. Um, but we've learned uh, that you've got to be on people to do what they say they're going to do and, and respond in the correct time frame. And uh, holidays don't help. Um, and all those types of things. But uh, long story short is we should submit our final STC certification uh, paperwork probably this time next week, I would think. So it's pretty much the, the industry thinks if you're sub- finalizing and submitting your final tests uh, report that you are, in essence, certified because it will happen at that. It's imminent. All right. Very good. Where can people go, John, to find out more, learn more about Pexco or uh, Airshield? So, you know, like I said, Pexco's, we're in central Washington uh, and we're actually known, uh, our best product, the product that people know us for is we make seat track covers. So all those little things on the floor, that's what we make. Uh, We've been making them for 50 years. And so um, we know durable plastic products. That's what we do. But if you want to find out more about AirShield, we have a website called flyairshield.com. 
And it's got a really, uh, it's got a lot of uh, good data in there explaining what the AirShield does, some great videos. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a good place, a resource to learn more about AirShield. And it connects with us to Pexco too. So you can see a little bit about us in beautiful Yakima, Washington. Fantastic. All right. Well, John, we really want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been a really interesting conversation. This is uh, another example, at least for me anyway, of, uh, you know, how you can find little little aspects to uh, flying or aviation that um, maybe you don't know anything about. Maybe you don't fully appreciate the importance or the significance, and you certainly don't know that somebody's got a whole career based around it, you know, and to sort of dive into that and learn a little bit is, uh, is kind of fascinating to me anyway. So thanks again. Well, thank you. Wait a minute, Max. Are you ha- are you saying that you're happy that he cleared the air on this subject? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys get uh, points with each other for airline jokes? Because uh, I think I think David's winning right now. David usually does win. Rob usually gets uh, like negative points <laughs> with his jokes because my jokes are funnier. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, we're, but we're just we, all we, jealous. We rate, we, rate, we rate Rob's jokes and groans. You know, one thing I was going to ask you, John, is that when you mentioned the, uh, the how do you uh, how do you build for the fourteen year old culprit? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm just wondering, is it, uh, are they just metal screws holding this thing up or is it Velcro or, or what is a mechanical it? fastener, uh, that goes through that, uh, on specifically on the 737, there's a groove that we developed a way to, uh, utilize the groove. And then we, we kind of, for lack of a better word, put a, put a, um, it's like a, a, a tamper proof kind of a set screw in there. So that it couldn't, uh, unless the little culprit's got a, a bunch of Allen wrenches with them, uh, which I don't know if you can get through TSA with those these days. True. Uh, but uh, that's that's the mechanical fastener on the 737, and it kind of hooks around, uh, so it's very stable on the 737. The A320 is a little bit different, okay? It fits with, we developed this um, highly, um, high-strength kind of snap-in mechanism that goes around the gasper. And then we use a uh, super, for lack of a better word, a super uh, strong Velcro that, uh, or it's a it's a load lock on either end. So basically, you need to have a um, catalyst to make it work, and then you have to have a catalyst that removes it too. Okay, so it doesn't do damage, but it. Uh, one of the tests they they gave us is we had to develop this. Um, archaic looking medieval torture device looking thing that would pull in different directions. And we had to hold it to, I think, 80 pounds of pressure in each direction and 120 pounds of pressure pulling down. I mean, it was some ridiculous amount of, uh, of, of tension. Um, I think you could deform the stowage bin before you would pull this down. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of in there, you know? So once again, we had to Rob, we had to find a, one of the parameters was we had to be able to remove it without damaging the infrastructure so that it could be returned from a lease. So these were the challenges that took us two years to develop this from this concept through the implementation all the way through certification. So mm. it, it's a very interesting, if you, if you saw the video of it testing, you'd be like, what is this? thing? <laughs> 
But that's part of the FAA. They're requiring. Yeah, you want them to be conservative. You want them to. Yeah, yeah. All right, we have the results from our giveaway drawing. You may recall from episode 728, we had two guests and they each offered up a, a product for us to give away. The first was Trisha Ferguson, the owner of the Interaction Group. You'll recall they design and create airline safety cards and uh, we have a, a giveaway, a safety card giveaway. And the winner is Rob Mark. Congratulations. Yeah, no. We... Uh, there were a lot of entries for both these, and you know they made really interesting reading because uh, we asked that uh, people in their email uh, specify which uh, which uh, giveaway they were interested in, and uh, tell us uh, why they listened to the Airplane Geeks podcast and how long they've been listening for, and uh, it, it makes for some for some great reading. We might sort of consolidate some of these, anonymize it, and um, talk about it some, but. Uh, the winner uh, of the uh, safety cards is uh, Zach Gabehart, and we had 48 entries. His entry was randomly selected, and uh, Zach wrote, I have been an Airplane Geeks listener for about three years now. I look forward to each episode each week. I listen to the podcast because you guys are truly the dream team. Oh, that think. might have had something to do with him getting picked, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, <okay>. no. I'm... <laughs> Uh, when it comes to uh, what's going on in aviation right now, I also greatly appreciate you include all aspects of aviation and you find topics and guests that are uh, not found on other podcasts, like the interaction group on the most recent episode, he says. Uh, he goes on, I work full time in aviation and the information I get from the podcast allows me to start provoking conversations with other aviation professionals about how these topics and issues can directly impact our airports, jobs, etc. I also believe podcasts such as this are what help inspire the next generation of aviators and aviation prof uh, professionals, which I firmly believe in sharing aviation with others and inspiring the next generation. I have several people that helped me get uh, to where I am, and I intend to give back in the same way. This is cool. Uh, I believe aviation artifacts and memorabilia are a great way to share aviation with others, and I would love to do this with the safety card giveaway. There's no better way to learn about a topic than to study the past and look at how far we have truly come. Thank you so much for providing giveaway opportunities like this to listeners. So congratulations. I've already contacted Zach. He sent in his address, and we'll um, get those safety cards off to him. And then the other giveaway was uh, or came from T-Mobile. We had Steve Carlson, the senior manager of communications for T-Mobile on the show, and he offered the Uncarrier On as a giveaway. This is that hard-sided suitcase. It has uh, wireless charging as well as USB charging, um, removable battery pack, other features uh, like, like a flat top work surface, a packing set of bags, and a tag smart tracking via Bluetooth. So uh, we had 55 entries for that one. And the, uh, the, the random selection, you know, I like Excel. I like, the, I like to use the, uh, the, the random number picker because you can say, pick a number, pick a random number between one and in this case, 55, and it comes up with an integer that uh, is random. So uh, David Salisbury won that one. David writes to, to us that I've been listening since about episode 50 and you guys feel like family. That's pretty neat. Uh, 
love that you cover all aspects of aviation since I'm involved in military, GA, and commercial aviation. I'm definitely, oh, like this, I'm definitely entertained by the podcast while learning a little something along the way, which is something that sounds a little bit familiar. Uh, uh, David, as long as you say that we feel like family, can we come to your house next year for Thanksgiving? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe Uh, borrow your uh, carry-on luggage. Yeah. Yeah, good. So congratulations. Thanks to everybody who, uh, um, you know, submitted uh, for for the giveaway. A lot of the emails are, uh, well, I, I really would like to uh, respond to as many of them personally as I can. So I'm going to try to do that. I won't be able to get to all of them. There's just, just too, too many. But we really appreciate the comments, the thoughts uh, that uh, people sent in along with their uh, uh, their entry. Oh, and I should say, and, and thanks to T-Mobile and the Interaction Group for providing those. What's up with the geeks? Well, it's a new year, and we like to, first episode of the year, just uh, give a shout out to uh, those of you who have donated financially to uh, this little uh, this little podcast here. And in uh, in 2022, uh, we had a number of recurring um, donations, and uh, some of this one time, but we want to thank, um, and I'll just do first names here, Doug, uh, John, Mike, I'll say Mike Smith, because we know Mike Smith. And that was a very generous uh, donation, Mike. Uh, Ted, uh, Stephen, Greg, Robert, Patrick Wiggins. Patrick said we can use his name. That'd be okay. We've uh, uh, known Patrick virtually, I guess, for uh, for many, many years. Also a very uh, generous contribution. Also Nathan, Ed, uh, Glenn Towler, the late Glenn Towler. Um, he actually had set up a recurring um, donation for us, a monthly donation. And so we, uh, we, we very much uh, miss Glenn. Also, uh, two more names, uh, Todd, also a very generous donation, and Matthew. So thanks to everybody. They're very much appreciated. The donations, they don't cover all the costs, but they cover some of them and take some of the, uh, some of the I don't want to say the sting, but uh, it costs kind of a lot of money to, to run this. You've got uh, media hosting, web hosting, uh, domain. Uh, Rob and I were just talking before we started recording about the airplanegeeks.com registration is up for renewal. And, um, you know, those kinds of expenses come along. So we really appreciate those that contribute. If you haven't and, and would like to, there's a there's a it's a PayPal donate button on our on our website on airplanegeeks.com. You can find that over on the right hand side. All right. Anything else going on? Uh Max Prescott, what have you been up to lately? Well, I had great fun putting out a new episode of Aviation News Talk today, and I just wanted to mention it because it's quite different from what I usually do in the show. Often we have fairly serious conversations about safety and airplane crashes and I thought it was time to do something a little upbeat and lighthearted. And one of the songs that a, a CFI mentioned to me a number of years ago that I really liked was called the the go around uh, the go around song, and it's been popular on YouTube. And it's got a catchy little tune. You can always go around. Anyway, <laughs> I found the artist, the singing pilot musician, who created that a gentleman named 
Ken Dravis, who lives out in West Virginia. And we had the most delightful conversation. We played a number of his uh, aviation songs. He told a lot of stories and it was just uh, great fun. So I would encourage anybody who's interested in uh, hearing about the, the background be behind how did the go around song come to be and all of the other songs that Ken has done to uh, check out Aviation News Talk this week, episode uh, 259. You know, I saw that pop up in my uh, podcast app. I had actually d just finished listening to the previous episode, which is a really interesting, very different. Um, oh, uh, yeah. Kind of a, yeah, I, that was a really meaningful episode. It, uh, we, we just mentioned uh, briefly, it was about a, a father and son, both pilots, and uh, there was an accident and the son lost his life in that uh, in that crash and the father survived and he's well he's talking about it now he's in some ways i think it's it's sort of therapy you know if you've been through a, a you know a, a tragedy like that talking about it can be very therapeutic but i just thought it was a very meaningful episode if uh, you guys haven't uh, listened to it yet, I, I'd really recommend checking that out. Thanks. I'm glad you, um, you know, found it, uh, what can I say, noteworthy. Um, you know, I think one of the, he mentioned three different reasons why he wanted to talk about it. Another one was to, to honor his son, but also to kind of educate pilots and help them not get into the same circumstances. This was a VFR into IMC accident. And, you know, everything just started out nice and normal and no uh, real red flags that uh, the the day was going to end so terribly. So you know, I think it's important for pilots to realize you got to stay on top of your game and that, uh, you know, when things change, you have to react accordingly. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, Rob, how about you? What's going on? Already thinking about Air Venture 2023. And when that gets here, uh, Oh, it is 2023, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, starting to make some uh, plans, gathering the list for um, uh, who we'll have on the uh, radio show up there. And I can guarantee you it's not going to be you again, Max, because you'll never drive all the way to Oshkosh again. <laughs> uh, I Which mean, Max are you talking about? Uh, well, well, which <laughs> Max do you... I mean, you, uh, Max East... Uh, do you think you'd drive out there again this year? Oh, heck yes. Oh, okay. Well, I just came back from an 8,000 mile road trip. Well, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Driving to Wisconsin. It, I mean, that's what? 2,500 miles, something like that's that? That's nothing. Uh, you could do that with your eyes closed. Yeah, practically. Uh, but, uh, no, we'll, we'll go through some, uh, we'll go through some jokes and things before we, uh, I, I, I will put you on the list. In fact, I'm putting you on right now Please uh, do. but also uh, uh i i hope i will be teaching at the uh, pilot proficiency center uh this year for eaa and uh, i didn't make last year so i was not there to see the new pilot proficiency center that has been moved over to the uh the museum building uh off of uh, 41 and so i hear it is just absolutely astounding so i'm really looking forward to uh, uh getting in there and uh having some fun with uh, a, a lot of the people that we meet uh, because I'm not uh, tied to any particular uh, magazine this year. Um, so I, I have a little more free time on my hands. 
Yeah. So you're going to you're going to be teaching something? Is that Yes. Uh the uh Pilot Proficiency Center uh what they do with these uh, Redbird simulators they're preloaded with some interesting scenarios like um uh flying into Aspen uh maybe uh uh, you know, uh, what, what's the other one? Uh, there's another good one down in, uh, there's a couple of good ones up in Montana, uh, you know, where you have to do some really interesting flying and uh, uh, people can do it safely because they don't actually have to be in the airplane to do it. They can test it out in the simulator and say, oh, you know what? With the right checkout, I, I could do this. Uh, and, I, and I think I, I will try that when I get back home. Uh but it's also uh, a VFR uh, seminar section and an IFR section. Uh, so for people that want to work on, uh, they can work with a, a new different instructors, and we each bring a particular uh, area of expertise to it. And I think there are twelve or thirteen of these Redbirds in the uh, uh, in the building now. So uh, people come by, they stay for an hour fly a couple of great scenarios and then go off on their way and we take the next person and, and on and on. And there are probably a good dozen instructors that uh, that volunteer every year. So this is, I'm trying to picture this. So this isn't you standing up on a stage with a PowerPoint presentation? No, no, no. This is, uh, uh, I'll have to send you a picture. Uh, in fact, you know what? I should send you the picture that you could put in the show notes um, because it's uh, pe- people that haven't been there might uh, not quite catch on to uh, what it is. But again, imagine a big room full of simulators and uh, an instructor for each, and uh, and they're all, each is willing to work with you. Uh, well, maybe not you, Max East, because you don't, don't know how to fly. Classes. But yeah, but, uh, and and to, uh, to run through some interesting uh, VFR or IFR uh, scenarios with you too, Give you a little more uh, exposure uh, to um, uh, to uh, your particular area of interest, uh, being instrument rated or VFR rated, and try some things that you might not or- ordinarily try on your own. And of course, the the instructors all it's not just um, flight sim like the game. Uh, we'll actually say, okay, wait a minute. If I were flying this scenario, rather than do what you did. I might suggest, why don't we try coming in a little slower and maybe you'll, you're configured uh, for landing. And, and, and again, it's, it's to, get, uh, to get pilots thinking about things in, in a little bit different way uh, than they might have. And, uh, and again, it, it's, it is fun uh, on top of it. So, yeah, um, cool. But I'll, I'll send you a picture for the, uh, for the show notes. For the show notes. Cool. All right. Good. And do you remind them that they can always go around? Uh, and they can always go around. <laughs> and um, and uh, if you come this year, uh, who knows, uh, Max, you might come up there, huh? Yeah. It, yes. No, I didn't. I meant, now I met the other Max. Oh, guys, this is so confusing. <laughs> I, I, it who, is, whose it idea is about was time this? time for me to get back to Oshkosh. John, I mean, you see what I go through. I say Max, and everybody says, which one? I, I don't know. Sometimes what... David even says, which one? Well, that's true. Uh, I, I, I have trouble with all these confusing topics. But anyway, it'll be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting back there this year. Cool. All right. We have an Australia news desk. Oh, my gosh. From the boys down under. 
the didgeridoo means it's time for the Australia News Desk. Here's two of the craziest guys we could find south of the equator. It's Steve Vischer and Grant McHaren from the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast. Dateline, 9th of January, 2023. And a very happy new year to all of our listeners and welcome to the Australia Desk for the first report of hopefully a few more than recent years, Grant, for 2023. How are you doing, mate? <laughs> Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Um, yes, I've been loading uh, Ozdesk episodes into our website where we collate them all. And um, yeah, it's quite clear to see the slowdown in the last few years. So we'll see if we can't rectify that this year, he says, knowing that it won't happen. But hey, we'll put it out there. Oh, yes. It's a New Year's resolution. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, we had to take a little break. We just thought, you know, six years would be enough. Anyway. Yeah, I think think you could be right there. <laughs> Recharge. Hey, it's, it's hopefully going to work for Daniel Ricciardo. He's taking a year off racing to be the number three driver for Red Bull. Yay. Well, there you go. So there we'll see. Go. Does he own a helicopter or anything? I know plenty of them do. Hmm. We'll have to find out. Okay. Well, speaking of helicopters, of course, Grant, uh, now it's made worldwide news. And of course, there's been a, a tragic uh, incident at the Gold Coast up in Queensland uh, just last week on the 3rd of January with two um, Eurocopter EC-130s uh, coming to grief with the loss of uh, four lives and several other people left in hospital. A tragic incident. One helicopter was taking off. The other one was coming inbound. One has come up underneath the other. They have collided. Um, what we do know at the moment is that the helicopter that was taking off uh, lost its main rotor and its uh, transmission, the whole works, and it unfortunately um, went straight down into uh, what turned out to be a sandbar just off the beach. The other helicopter, fortunately, despite losing all of the uh, glass around its uh, the front of its canopy, was able to make an emergency landing. Several people there taken to hospital, a number of those still in critical condition. Uh, Grant, what do we know about that one so far? We know that the Australian Transport Safety Bureau is obviously investigating that and it will take a while for those findings to come out. Uh, We don't want to speculate too much, of course, but we just want to cover it, uh, at least in some small detail here. Yeah, look, it's it's pretty tragic, this one. There's lots of speculation running and there's one of the things that has been mentioned is the frequency of flights and it's a high churn operation. So maybe they need to reassess how they're going to uh, bring aircraft in and out. If you look at some of the um, animations they've displayed from above, uh, you could see one climbing out and the other on descent. But the one on descent was going right across the departure path, which seems very odd. So there's lots to look into. Procedures, processes, were they all being followed? Are the procedures correct if they were being followed? All those kind of things. This is why a few more months we'll probably get more of an initial report, but it'll be probably next year before, middle of next year before we hear anything detailed about it. I was watching an interesting, uh, there's a very good uh, analytical uh, channel called the Broncolirio channel. Uh, it is on uh, YouTube. It's a, uh, a gentleman there who has quite some experience in investigations, it seems. Um, One of the interesting things uh, he was talking about on this video that I was watching last night where he was doing a bit of analysis on what he'd seen is that the EC-130 helicopter, the pilot flies in the left seat, which uh, for those of you who are familiar with uh, most rotary wing aircraft, they fly from the right seat. And apparently these helicopters have not been in the fleet for all that long. So, I mean, I I guess it goes without saying it's a a, a situation of degraded situational awareness. And and I'm sure the ATSB will be looking very much at that angle of it and trying to work out how that might have come about. But I just wonder if that may have played a role in it. That's that's something that will be interesting to see. Would that pilot have been able to have a better view had he been in one of the older aircraft that they were 
operating. We believe they might have been operating uh, jet ranges prior to this where he would have been in the right seat and perhaps, who knows, we don't know, but perhaps he may have had better view of the departing helicopter that was coming up underneath him. But, um, yeah, very tragic. Our hearts go out to everybody involved in that situation and we hope at least now, once the investigation reaches its conclusion, which could be a year or two away, we just need as an industry to be able to learn from this and what can we do to make sure that something like this just doesn't happen again. Yep, and that can be frequency of departures. Also of interest, the uh, the helicopter descending, were, the ascending helicopter was on their left. Uh, if you look at a video that was shot inside the cabin of the uh, descending helicopter, uh, you can actually see one of the passengers reaching forward to tap the pilot's shoulder to say, oi, look at this, because they saw the helicopter coming up. And before they tapped the shoulder, the pilot was looking more to the right than to the left. So yeah, and I've seen, it'll be interesting to see what that comes from. Yeah, and I've seen some people speculate saying, well, perhaps uh, the pilot was distracted by the passenger tapping him on the shoulder. I don't know about that. I'd say mm. if you look at that video and it's it's awful viewing to watch, I would urge caution watching it. But I don't think that really played a factor. I think by the time everybody in that cabin became aware of it, it was uh, it was too late to take any evasive yeah, action. Definitely but certainly any view from the ground that you look at, um, there was no evasive action taken on the part of either aircraft. So both pilots mm. um, didn't have any awareness that the other one was in that particular space at the time. I mean, that's that much is obvious. So why that happened and how that came to happen, well, that's what the investigation will show up. So we'll we'll wait for that. Correct. We'll wait for that. Correct. Okay, great. We'll wait and see what comes through. Yeah. Okay, mate, let's move on to airlines. Now, of course, most of the time in this segment, uh, Grant and I usually only talk about Virgin Australia or Qantas because, <laughs> well, in our part of the world, and I think you know, people sometimes don't realise Australia is almost the same size as the continental US, but we only have the population of Los Angeles here, about, I don't know, 25, <laughs> 26 million. So we only have two major airlines, of course, being Qantas and Virgin, but there are from time to time new players coming into the market. Now, I should point out that most of the new players that come in, Grant, uh, we were listing them the other day and we were talking. I could think of Compass, <laughs> Mark 1 and 2, Strategic, Air Australia, JetGo. Can you think of any others? Uh, well, Tiger got taken out by the um, the COVID shutdowns. Uh, Jetstar is still with us. Uh, so that's the third. Don't forget the third. It's part of the Qantas oh, group. Much to your chagrin, like, my friend. <laughs> no, no, no. Qantas is part of the Jetstar group, remember? Uh, yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently. Well, of course, there's a new player, and we touched on this uh, uh, towards the end of last year, and it's called Bonza Air now. <laughs> I cringe at that name, honestly. But honestly, um, they are actually playing it up. Uh, for those American listeners or people that don't live in Australia, Bonza is quite of a it's a jingo team isn't it grant it's like bonza you beauty she'll be right mate all that sort of stuff oh ripper mate ripper <laughs> and most of us would look at that and go oh my goodness i can't believe they're calling it that but they're actually their marketing strategy is actually playing on that mm. they are very much going into the low cost market that's what they're looking and they've got some interesting strategies haven't they grant where they're, they're looking at going to destinations not really serviced by the major airlines, tourist destinations in the main, and that at least is a different strategy from what we have seen from other players in the market who've come in and tried to take on the big airlines here on the major routes, and mm -hmm. almost without exception. Actually, I would point out at the moment that Rex seems to be doing quite well with their small fleet of 737s operating on the major routes, but this is an interesting strategy. Yeah, interesting you mentioned Rex. They're usually associated with Saab 340s flying regional flights, and uh, towards the end of all the lockdowns and everything, they decided to grab some former Virgin 737s and uh, put them on the Golden Triangle, um, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. And uh, they seem to be doing reasonably well. They're holding their own. 
But yeah, but as you said, Bonza, as we said last time in the previous desk that was a while ago last year, uh, they are going for the uh, escape from the south to get to the warmth of the uh, northern Sunshine Coast and Queensland and things like that. So lots of flights from places like Avalon, Mildura, Melbourne, etc., up to the um, Sunshine Coast and Mackay further north. So the biggest problem that's been happening is they've been trying to get their AOC for well over a year. I think it's almost 18 months now, mm. which is really a long time. Their CEO has gone out there and said he's going to be charging around $50 per flight hour per seat is what the passenger's likely to expect to pay. So a two-hour flight, 100 bucks. One-hour flight, 50 bucks. It's interesting to see how well they're going to be able to maintain that. They say they're sticking to it, but the fuel prices have been going through the roof. So they have, as part of getting your AOC, you have to demonstrate that you're a viable operational carrier, that you will make money, that you're not going to go under. So that's part of the paperwork they're supplying. And we've heard a rumor, which is that their AOC is to be released if it wasn't already last week. Now it's a rumor. It could be like one of those things where, yeah, there's just one last signature. Ten years later, we're still waiting for that one last signature. But, <laughs> That's very true, know, mate. We'll we've, been, uh, we've been making reaching out to some contacts that we've got in the industry. Um, one of them actually tipped me off just a couple of days ago as we record this, and this would have been over the the, the previous weekend before this episode goes to air, that um, he'd heard uh, pretty strongly that the AOC had been uh, issued to this airline. They're still playing pretty coy with it. Grant, you've been in contact with their media people and uh, they were actually kind enough to give us a statement. Yeah, they certainly have, mate. And uh, the statement is from Tim Jordan, CEO of Bonza, and it's, we remain focused on the final stages of the regulatory process and look forward to sharing an update as soon as it's right to do so. <laughs> well, there you go. So playing a pretty straight bet there, as the saying goes. But uh, yeah, that's, that's that's interesting. I mean, I, I look... Let's face it, if you go back and uh, probably the media people at Bonza will be going back now thinking, who are these guys? And if they heard our last report <laughs> at australiadesk.net, by the way, if you want to have a listen, um, we were just like, well, I know I was, Grant. It's like, oh, my goodness, really? Bonza Airlines, you must be joking. What a silly name. But um, that's not to say that we don't wish them well. I mean, you know, it's providing, um, you know, more competition in the market. It's providing employment in the market, which is very much needed. And, uh, you know, we wish them every success. But we are going to take, we are going to take the fun wherever we can because that's us. That's us. I mean, you know, hey, if they want to bring us along for the launch flight, we wouldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them he's dreaming. Yeah. At the moment, they've got three aircraft in country, uh, 737 MAX 8s. They're flying around. They have a target to uh, eventually bring in eight. Now, we don't know if they'll do that. They actually had four on the register. One of those has now been taken off the register again and is currently being stored, uh, we believe, in uh, Tucson in Arizona somewhere. So uh, at the moment, I think the focus quite obviously for Bonza is to first get that AOC, start ramping up operations. They're going to have to make uh, a lot of money. You mentioned three aircraft. Well, back in August when we did our last Ausdesk, yeah, I know it's been a while, uh, we were saying they were doing a competition to name their aircraft. Well, the competition's in and the play names are Sheila, Baza and Shazza. Uh So sticking to the Bogan, they are, as you said, they're really working the Bogan view. Um, So those are classic Aussie Bogan names, yes. <laughs> to be blunt. <laughs> it's awesome. This is great. It certainly is. I mean, you know, we can uh, we can cringe at it like I was doing last time, or we could relax, which is something I don't do enough, Grant. Just ask anybody, but uh, we could just relax and have a bit of fun with it. We do wish them well. Um, we'll provide an update on Bonza Airline as soon as it comes. Of course, if you want to book a ticket with them, um, you can't do it through travel agents. They're going to do it all via their app. 
which is another interesting yeah. way of doing things. I'll be very interested to see how that strategy goes. And if you want to find out more about Bonza, you can go to flybonza, that's F-L-Y-B-O-N-Z-A dot com. And, you know, I said that in American. You sure did. You know, you're Grant, you are always the linguist of our operation. Always the linguist. <laughs> uh, is this where we get to drop the line about being cunning? <laughs> No, Grant. I, That's why. <laughs> no, Grant. I don't think we'll be dropping that line. What we will do is to remind you, folks, is if you'd like to go back and have a listen, if you're new to the show and you wonder what this segment with these strange accents is all about, um, all the archives or many of them anyway are at AustraliaDesk.net. We've actually just upgraded that website and um, doing a, a few little other bits and pieces in the background that we're not quite ready to talk about yet, but we'll do so in the meantime. It is an Avalon year this year too, in 2023, the Australian oh, International Air Show. Um, if you want to uh, have a listen to what's going on there, you can have a listen to another podcast that we produce, which is the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Grant's uh, last edition of that, I think it was the last one anyway, where he talks to Justin Giddings, who's the new boss of the Avalon Air Show, and uh, he talks about uh, some of the plans they've got coming. And uh, it sounds like it's actually going to be a really, really great air show after a couple of uh, COVID-interrupted years. So we're really looking forward to that. That's right, mate. It was uh, very heartbreaking to miss last year's one, which was supposed to be the RAF centenary. But hey, you know, let's see what the guys can do for this one. And uh, yeah, that was actually uh, episode 36. So not the most recent one in the feed. But if you go to uh, your podcatcher and look for ADM podcast, and you'll hear my dulcet tones throughout that entire show. Fantastic. Okay, that's everything we have for you on this week's Australia Desk. Once again, we wish everybody a safe, prosperous, and let's hope a stress-free new year. Until next time we talk to you, I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran. Cheers, folks. And were they talking about us and our strange accents, or were they speaking of themselves? Because... I, I was a little confused about that. I, I like Australian accents. I think they're the best accents. Oh, I see. Okay. But come on, the airline, was it called Bonzo or Bonza? Bonza. B-O-N-Z-A. Oh, I see. Okay. Because Bonzo. Bonzo was the monkey in the Ronald Reagan movie, right? Right, yes. Okay. Max, I, I understand being one signature away from AOC for a long time. Yeah. I, I know. I, fully, I was thinking of that. I fully understand it. Yeah, yeah. We're just one signature away. Yeah. Okay. I fully understand. All right. Well, it's, it's good to hear from the guys down under Grant yeah. and Steve. Yeah. Always, always good. I think we're going to be hearing more uh, of them or from them this year. All right. Thanks for listening to the Airplane Geeks podcast. We want to thank our guest this episode, John Page, president of Pexco Aerospace. John, thanks again. Thank you. Of course, uh, you can visit flyairshield.com to learn more. There's also Pexco, P-E-X-C-O, pexcoaerospace.com. And of course, you can find us at airplanegeeks.com. And we have a permanent shortcut link that redirects right to the show notes for this episode. That's airplanegeeks.com slash 732. That's the episode number. And our email address is thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. All right, Rob, where do folks find you? Uh, let's see. Well, they find me here, but then I guess we'll be gone by the time they get here, won't, won't they? Yes. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, jetwine.com and uh, certainly between the pages of uh, uh, business commercial aviation. And soon it's only... Uh, 
six and a half months away, uh, Air Venture, maybe seven. But, you know, get ready now. I think it's, it's a good idea to be primed for that. Yeah, and especially like starting to understand your accommodations and, uh, you know, where you're going to stay. Of course, I bring mine with me, but. Yeah, well, that's still, okay, well, that's another story. <laughs> we're just going to sleep in Rob's car. No, we're not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we, we, we could tell you a funny story about Steve Fisher when he rode in my Mini at one time, but that, we'll save that for another time. Yeah, yeah. How about you, David? Where do we find you? Well, you can find me during the week at the American Helicopter Museum, where we've got a new year and a lot of new exhibits. This year, we've got plant. I've got. I'm currently working on. Um, there's an organization called Whirly Girls, which is oh, yeah. the women in helicopter aviation. Um, that will be for March, which is Women's History Month. And, of course, this is the 100th anniversary of the Sikorsky Corporation. So we will have a big exhibit in June on Sikorsky, and we're going to tie that with National Immigration Month and talk about uh, Sikorsky and Igor Sikorsky and his immigration here to the United States um, to match the 100th anniversary of the, uh, of the founding of the company. So lots going on there. You can also find me. It's 2023. And if you're not part of the Slack listener team, why not? And you do that by sending us an email to thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. And, but last but not least, your usual social media presence. So we're good. And we'll see you next week. David, do you have at the museum, do you have a uh, Igor Sikorsky, I don't know, documents and memorabilia and a collection? We have some, we have some Sikorsky items. Um, the the Sikorsky ar archives are officially in, in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, at the at the plant and in his office, so we'll be working with them to bring in some temporary archive ar archives. But we do have some stuff. We also have relationships with the Sikorsky family. Um, all of them are on the board of directors. Um, so we we do have a relationship, but we are not the primary source for Sikorsky, whereas we are for most of the other companies. Should I give my Sikorsky stuff to you? Or to the folks in Connecticut? Uh, you, Documents. Well, if I'm going to be selfish, I'm going to say, give it to me. Okay, I will. All right. I've been saving some stuff up. Wasn't that Sikorsky's, uh, was that his son that we had on? Grandson. Oh, grandson. Grand, grandson. Igor Sikorsky III. And that was how many years ago? It's been a while now. I want to get back. He's still running the sporting camp in the North Main Woods uh, with his wife. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping maybe to get him as a guest um, when we do open the exhibit at the museum. Yeah, oh, I I would come down for that for sure. I also want to get up to his camp again. All right, uh, let's see. I guess that's it. Oh no, wait a minute, Max Trescott. Hello, and I'm just going to say I'm amazed that Sikorsky was founded a hundred years ago. I know. <laughs> if I had to guess, I would not have guessed anything close to a hundred. So that's truly amazing. Um, and uh, folks looking for me, just go to Aviation News Talk and whatever podcast player you use or aviationnewstalk.com and you click on contact at the top page if you'd like to send me an email. Terrific. And you can find me at 30,000feet.com. That'll tell you all the places where you can really find me. So check that out. 
In the meantime, please join us again next week as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody. Keep the blue side up. Night, everybody. And thanks for listening. 